Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories, the podcast for the LGBTQI plus storytelling night I host and program around the country. If you're a regular listener, you'll notice that I am yet again recording a new intro for the podcast. I feel a lot of pressure now to keep things fresh so that the relationship doesn't get stale. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. Please check out the back catalogue of stories. There's some really, really wonderful work there. And please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date. Consider purchasing a copy of the Queer Stories book, which I published with Hachette Australia last year. And when you've got a moment, look at My Mother's Kitchen on your phone, a collaboration I did with Google's Creative Labs. Follow Queer Stories on socials for event updates and check out Maeve Marsden on crowdfunding platform Patreon. I don't know why that sounded so sing-song. On crowdfunding, it's, it's awkward when you're asking people for money. But look, I've got a Patreon page and for a small monthly donation, you can help me to continue to run these events. Anyway, please enjoy the podcast. Kate Fenwick is the author of Burning Between, published by Puncher and Watman. Their work has appeared in Seen and Heard Zine, Butch is Not a Dirty Word, Cordite Poetry Review, Archer Magazine, and on the walls at China Heights Gallery in Surrey Hills. In 2017, Kate completed their honours in English and Writing at the University of Newcastle. Their thesis, Digital Queries, explores the relationship between millennials, suburban spaces, and the internet. Kate performed this piece at Newcastle Writers' Festival in 2019. That space between leaving high school and starting the next thing is bizarre. Whether that be uni, work, or just, you know, taking up residency on a couch with a bong in one hand and a pipe dream in the other. That unsettling sensation of transition for me started in the weeks prior to my 18th birthday, which is odd upon reflection because my birthday was in the April and I finished my HSC in the November. Like any pre-planned event, the lead up was perhaps better than the soiree itself. I was keen, I was going places. I was going to Unity Nightclub. For non-Novacast... For for non-Novacastrians, Unity Nightclub was located inside the Sydney Junction Hotel on Beaumont Street, just by Hamilton train station. The club was active from 2012 to 2015 and regularly hosted amateur drag, pink impersonators, and on one very auspicious occasion, the Veronicas. I was adamant that my first club outfit would be meticulously curated. This led me, a baby dyke, with no idea when it came to apparel, to the then very infant online shopping site, The Iconic. (laughs) I proceeded to purchase a pair of coral coral suede, I can't even say the word, coral suede slingbacks firmly against my mother's recommendation under the guise that they were, and I quote, trendy as fuck. (laughs) Naturally, they were brutally uncomfortable. Like any queer assigned female at birth in my age bracket, I spent an awful lot of my youth watching and re-watching the L word. (laughs) Like to the point where my eyes hurt from lack of sleep and the disc was so scratched that a portable DVD player that I had in my room made that awful chewing sound. I was totally caught up in the fantasy of heading down to the planet for a couple of cold ones with Alice and Shane. My entire projection of gay club culture was exclusively based off the retrospectively problematic drama. Keep in mind, I was still firmly in Newcastle and surrounded by the cross-section of community that was undeniably blue-collar with attitudes that make you want to tear your binder off in revolt. Let's not kid ourselves here, I didn't bind at the time. I was still firmly caught in my hippie lesbian phase. (laughs) Complete with one stretchy, you know the spiral that was really in sort of in the late 2010s? (laughs) 
and a full face full of a face full of poorly matched foundation that my mother had paid for as a birthday gift from the Clinique counter. <laughs> Many of you would remember that club pitches were very, very important in 2013. It goes without saying that you needed to get all of your angles in front of a background that stated the club name and then naturally stalk that club's Facebook page for the following 72 hours to ensure that you were the first one of your mates to save and upload that picture to get as many likes as humanly possible. <laughs> you know, just as like a really casual way to determine your value as a human. <laughs> I ticked that box promptly upon entering the club and funnily enough, I wasn't in West Hollywood still. Kit wasn't ushering me in. I didn't have pals like Dana and Jenny waiting for me at the bar. As I peered into the sea of bad tattoos, asymmetrical haircuts, plaid and Cooper's soap carpet, my fantasy more or less burst. Moments after entering, a jar was shoved in front of my nose that looked not dissimilar to the ones found in the $2 shop. You know, next to the toxic cheap candles, the ones most likely that trap fairy dust as a small child, or maybe like bits of fake moss, glitter, arts and crafts style. Anyway, all of this happened faster than I could say. I'm only a naive 18-year-old with no comprehension of drugs beyond weed. Smoked out of a Powerade bottle. <laughs> I later asked my cousin what it was because I was mildly terrified and she explained to me that it was a popper commonly used by gay men to loosen their muscles prior to sex. It took me ages to work out why a long-haired lesbian would offer me something to relax my anus. <laughs> there is a scene in The L Word. You know the one where Jenny and Marina fuck in the bathroom of the planet? Tim interrupts them. It's all hot and heavy, yes, it is in a toilet, but you know, a nice looking dunny, a West Hollywood dunny. <laughs> all white and marble. Loads of tense fumbling and upskirt action, so when the person I was seeing at the time asked if I wanted to go to the bathroom with them, I was eager. <laughs> Textbook stuff. The door was locked behind me and I was pushed up against the wall. I mean, it was all consensual. I was ready to have my very own planet moment. However, all I could think about during was that there was a used tampon sitting on the top of the sanitary disposal unit, a suspicious brown stain above the toilet paper dispenser, and even though I was certainly not woke at the time, I did have qualms about fucking in the one and only disabled toilet to the dulcet... <laughs> I did have qualms about fucking in the one and only disabled toilet to the dulcet sounds of dyke squabbling. <laughs> I tried to get into it, and for the moment I did, until my older cousin pounded on the door in some kind of ceasefire to like simultaneously scold and congratulate me. <laughs> Understandably, we scattered, and I found myself on the dance floor, which was convenient as the first drag show of the night was about to begin. Bodies started gathering around me, lights were strobing, smoke was rising, and as the Queen on stage launched into her rendition of Lana Del Rey's Summertime Sadness, oh I involuntarily started crying. <laughs> I think it was a combination of being totally fucking overwhelmed, the Queen's lack of synchronisation, and my expectation that all drag routines look like Burnett Bassinger, Mitzi Delbra and Felicia Jolly Goodfellow's interpretation of Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. <laughs> Nevertheless, after the subpar sub performance, I centred myself and found my way into the beer garden. I pulled up a pew and lit a cigarette. 
It did take me a long time to understand why people liken gay bars to places of worship and take Sunday sessions so seriously. And despite my aversion now to smoke machines and strobe lights, from time to time, I still give in to that urge to congregate. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this story, please share it on social media and hashtag it queer stories so I can share it further with the world. Hope to see you at one of the events soon.